0: All right, let's just go. All right, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's just. Uh, I, w- I want us just to uh, honor the uh, the praise team for uh, incredible work that they've been doing and serving us. So let's just honor them. You know. That for them to come up here and lead us in worship for 30 minutes, it uh, requires them to put in a good, like, seven, eight hours. Hour of traveling time, one way, alright, and then two, three hours of practice. So, you know, the praise team actually puts in a lot of hours. I should know, I used to, I used to lead a worship team actually in New Jersey myself. And uh, we, didn't, we didn't have as many praise team members, but, uh, you know, when we lead worship, man, we have to put in so much practice hours. Uh, and this, I just wanted to honor them. Uh, I also, also want to honor the um, the media team in the back. Uh, they've been going without their leader, Caleb, because he's in Philippines. But they've been doing a wonderful job. Amen? Let's just honor them. <laughs> Hallelujah. Wonderful job, media team. Make sure you have all the slides next time. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I have to do it, I'm sorry. No, um, and uh, I, I just want to recognize there's one more team, one team that you probably uh, don't see too often, uh, and that's our service team, uh, led by our sister Megan, who's doing work right now, just accompanying someone to their seat. Uh, let's just honor their service team, they do all the <laughs> setup each week. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, and some of our, our all of our, uh, not all of them, but many of our leaders have come through the service team, uh, because we believe that great leaders, uh, they know and they're familiar with humility and servanthood and submission, and uh, if you work under Megan, you will learn those things. Amen? <laughs> Amen, former service team members? <laughs> Hallelujah. It's Very good how the Lord is using you, Megan. Bless the Lord. all right, if you turn your Bibles to Romans 8:15 and uh, be ready to uh, kind of flip through various Bible passages. we're going to be looking at the word today. Oh, somebody likes that. Hallelujah. Let's look at Romans chapter eight, verse fifteen. Let's read that again in one voice, one, two, three, go. for you did not receive the spirit of slavery. To fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba Father. Hallelujah. Who's your daddy? I heard Jesus, Father God, God. Who is your daddy? Amen. So today we are going to really ask ourselves, who's my daddy? Who is your daddy? Um, the Word of God says here, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You know, uh, before a person knows Christ, they live with a spirit of slavery upon them. Because they have this fear. And oftentimes it, it's just tied to a lot of different fears. But the main fear being the fear of death. The fear of what is, what happens when I step off this earth. What happens on the other side of eternity. The fear of death. And this fear, it keeps people in slavery. And uh, if you... Uh, look at the book of Exodus and you study what happened to the Israelites. Uh, what God does when he saves us is a lot like what he, does, what he did with the Israelites out of Egypt. They were in slavery for many, many, many generations and God went in there with his outstretched hand, with signs and wonders, and he delivered them out, out of slavery, and he wanted to bring them into sonship. Hallelujah. Now, uh, the Word of God says here that you have not received a spirit of slavery. Now, I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him, you are not a slave. Hallelujah. Now, um,. You know, there's a, um, a book that I'm reading uh, by Chris Vallotton. I don't even know how to say his name. Chris Vallotton, Um, called The Supernatural Ways of Royalty. And there's one point that the author makes at the beginning of the book. And it really just, really struck me. Uh, in this book, he talks about how his administrator, one of his secretaries, comes up to him in tears and tells him, Chris Sometimes you just say things that just hurt people, and you need to watch. You need to be more sensitive. You need to watch what you say. And she cries and cries and storms out. Okay, all right. I can kind of relate. Okay, I can't say it. Maybe it has happened exactly that way, but um, no, I definitely can relate. Uh, I think all throughout my life, I've had. Those conversations, that exact conversation. Okay, it's been with CCC leaders. It's been with my uh, youth group pastor. Uh, it's um, I just remember one time uh, I got into this big shouting match with uh, one of my kids in my youth group, and I didn't care what I said. I just I just let them have it. All right, and um, growing up in Philadelphia, you know, you you kind of pick up certain. Vocabulary words that you should not really be using inside of a church youth group. But you know, just in my, you know, anger and passion, I just kinda, just, I just let it out. Just, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I didn't, I didn't, and you know what? And then I, I didn't really care. I didn't really care what I said. I think the person, you know, that person kinda, it was their fault for aggravating me like that. And then my youth group pastor took me aside into a room. And he said, Christian, you got to watch what you say. Because you are the youth group president. (laughs) And you know, he had a good point there. He had a good point. If I have to rewind a little bit more, in seventh grade, I was in a karate school. I used to be a uh, a magnificent martial artist. I used to do splits. I used to uh do all kinds of jump kicks and roundhouse kicks and back kicks and and um, my sensei Tyrone Wiggins. Sensei Tyrone Wiggins. Uh, you guys know a little bit about him already. Okay. You don't you don't mess with Sensei Tyrone Wiggins. Um one time my sensei was 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 uh he was having some legal trouble, so he was he wasn't at the school very much. And uh all his disciples, including myself, we had to teach the classes. And uh the school was free because it was at a recreation center in Philadelphia. But uh because the school got so popular and we were stealing all these students from Kim's Karate, if you guys remember Kim's Karate school back in the day, all right, they used to all come to our school. And we started charging because there were just so many people coming. And so all these parents would accompany these, their kids, and then they would come to the school. I don't know what happened. I still don't know what happened. But one particular day, okay, one of these kids just aggravated me and just got on, and just disrespected me, you know, just doing things that just crossed my line. And I just let them have it. I, I just, you know, and I, you know, and I, you know, and I just, I said things that I shouldn't have said. And, uh, my sensei found out about it. And it was uh, probably over the weekend. I come in on like Monday. And uh, my sensei had all my just all his disciples lined up against the wall. And I came in and everybody was kneeling. And then all his best students were standing. And he said, young. That's my Korean name. Okay. Lee, come here. I heard about what happened last week. What do you have to say for yourself? And I said, Well well son say you don't know what happened. You see that, that kid? He was like, What do you have to say for yourself, son? I said, Well well let me let me explain to you what happened. He's like, Alright, son. This is the way it's gonna go down. You're gonna spar Tony. He and he was like a purple belt. I was only a green belt at this time. <laughs> you're gonna spar Tony, then you're gonna spar James. James was a running back. He was a he had running back legs. He had the most vicious roundhouse kick. He could kick harder than my sensei. Anyway, you're gonna spar James, then you're gonna spar Dewey, my Vietnamese friend, then you're gonna spar Tim. He's six foot two. This this guy, he was a green belt at our school. He went down to Washington D.C. for one summer and he obtained a black belt at a taekwondo school. Anyway, uh, he's six two by the way, and he used to go out in the back of the recreation center and he used to break bricks with his bare hands for fun. Okay. These guys, are, these guys grew up on the streets, these are tough guys, okay? And, and I, I, I was like, why? Why? He's like, alright son, you don't seem to get it, alright? You Come here to the middle, you're gonna spar your fellow, t- your fellow, um, classmates. And so, uh, you may have heard a story already, I ended up, uh, sparring the entire school, okay? The, the best karate students of the school, and, uh, I sparred for a good, You know, if you spar for like five minutes, man, you are like mad winded because it takes everything out of you. Okay, I sparred for like 45 minutes straight, and my sensei would not give me a break. Okay, and so I remember I, 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 you know, sparred Tony, and Tony was a flat. You know, he's like a flashy kicker. He was like a beauty kicker, but he couldn't fight. You know, so he did all these kicks, and he missed on me, and I just, you know, like, knocked him in the stomach, and he got like he got all angry because you know he's a purple belt, and he was like. You know, he, I, I messed him up a little bit, you know. And then James came out, the running back, okay. And he said, he said, Sophia, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry for what, man? Come on, come on. So I'm sorry. Uh, well, BAM! Okay, I remember I blocked it, and the fist that I was holding up to block his kick ended up punching my face. Okay, it was a vicious roundhouse that he had. Then uh, I fought Dewey, and I messed up Dewey. Cause he, he was just a skinny Vietnamese kid. And then Tim came out, and Tim said it. Same thing, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Suck Young. I'm sorry. Ba-bam! Ba-bam! Oh. oh. <laughs> I remember there was a stage in our, in our karate school, and my, my head wa- was hitting the stage, because he, was, he just kept kicking me into the stage. I had nowhere to go. And i will be down, and i I'll and be trying to get back up, and I was so mad-winded, I couldn't get back up, and Sensei said, So go, get up right now, get up, get up. You're tougher than this, get up. And I said, yeah, I am tougher. <laughs> <laughs> and as I'm getting up, Sensei would say, Tim. And then Tim go, ah! Oh! I fall back down, and he was kicking me in my face. Okay, This is not, we're, you know, we're, we're sparring. When we spar, we don't hit each other's face. Okay, But Sensei was trying to make a point that day. And a couple other people, and then I was mad-winded. I was beat up. I was bruised up. And then Sensei brought Tony Capacero back out, the guy I first fought. And he was upset because I had messed him up a little earlier. He came at me, was going all these kicks in my face. And I started, like, trying to grab his head and just trying to street fight. Because I was like, you ain't trying to hurt me like that. And and Sensei broke it up, and they said, "And you always fight with honor. In this school, you fight with I don't care what's happening, you fight with honor. And I said, all right, I'll fight with honor. I'll show you honor. Tony, come on, Tony. And uh, anyway, make a long story short. Uh, I had to hide from my mom that night. Because I had over 25 bruises. I counted them all over my body. I had bruises where you didn't think you can get bruises. And I, I was—I just, just messed up. I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate that I didn't lose any teeth, anything like that. But for whatever reason, I got the most, I got, that was probably the worst beatdown I've ever gotten in my life. For whatever reason, I didn't really understand what the beatdown was about. <laughs> so let's fast forward to college. I'm serving as the student rep, the president of NYU Korea Campus Crusade for Christ, it's our college ministry when I was a student leader. And, um,. You know, I just—I was just very loose. I was just like a very, you know, I like to be like, you know, I like to be able to relate, you know. And so, anyway, uh, I would say things, and the staff would not like it. Then they would—they won't say anything because camp exchange staff they chama very well. They're very patient. And I would just drop other things. I'd be on a mission trip, say things, you know, just you know, make you know, bad jokes or just—I don't know—just say things that are just like you know, whatever. And then. I remember when I graduated, one particular staff, she took me out for coffee, and I was like, "Wow, this is this is great! You've never taken me out for coffee." And this staff, she took me out to coffee for uh, at this cafe, and and <laughs> exactly that's how I felt. No, <clears throat> no, she she just came up to me, and I thought she was gonna say some encouraging, you know, good work on all your leadership over these years. And she said, I don't know how to say this, Christian. Let me just be straight with you. You have a problem. And I said, excuse me. (laughs) I'm I'm getting like a list of things I could point out about her, right? (laughs) And she said, no, no, no. You have a problem. I'll, I'll tell you what it is. You don't know how to watch your mouth. Okay? You could be such a great and wonderful leader. You have so many giftings, Christian. But you ruin it for yourself. By the things that you say. I remember I just being so shocked. I said, well, what about all the service? Like, you know, I served on the, the prayer team, the media team. You know, I did all these things for the ministry. How could you just throw all that out and just point this out to me? And she's like, I'm, I'm doing this to help you, Christian. Now. Fast forward to Korea. New Philadelphia Church. Now. Uh, you know, I continue to hear, not as intensely, but I continue to hear here and there people say, "Christian, you know, you gotta be careful what you say." You know, and uh, ever since I became a pastor, I, I you know I hear it before it was just like, you know, you gotta be careful, man. You're a leader. Hey, be careful, you're a prayer team leader. Now it's like, be careful, you're a pastor, <laughs> right? And for whatever reason, I still can't seem to get the point. Okay. And when I was in Maryland, I was reading this book and something like a light bulb just went out in my head. I was like, voila! <laughs> and the author, Chris, Chris was talking about how, he, how when the, his administrator confronted him that way, he's gotta watch what you say, you know. He thought, well, she's just very, very emotional and sensitive. And, you know, I just got to be more sens- uh, in- sensitive around her. Or, you know, I need to just watch what I say. He thought those were the two issues. But the deeper he looked, God started to show him why this kept happening in his life. And, uh, and, and w- what he presents is going to kind of like rock your world a little bit. Because I know it really rocked mine. And if, if you relate to the kind of conversations that I've received, where people say, you know, you watch what you're, what you're, what you're saying and stuff. You you relate to this. He said that God started to show him the reason why he just couldn't watch what he says. It's not just an issue of taming the tongue. But it was an issue of sonship. You see? And then he goes into his testimony. And he has this crazy testimony. Uh, I think his father... um, either left him or or died when he was really young. So he grew up without a father, and then he grew up under a stepfather that used to abuse him verbally and just say him all kinds of things to just say he's nothing, you're, you're worthless. And so Chris had grown up in his family thinking, I'm a nobody. And since I'm a nobody, nobody really cares what I say. Nobody really cares what I say. And so, he realized the reason why he's so sarcastic, the reason why he's so careless, is because underneath all this taming the tongue issue, underneath it all is an identity issue. And he realized the real reason why he hasn't seen really breakthrough in this area is because he thinks that no one really cares about what he says. So even if he becomes a leader, even when he becomes a pastor, he still continues to believe that no one really cares what I say. When he's preaching, of course he believes people care what he says. But when he's just hanging out with people, when he's not performing, when he's not serving, the truth identity comes out. He just still sees himself as a slave. He doesn't see himself as a son. And he starts to contrast and say that if you were the son of a king and you were told all your life growing up that you are a prince and that you're going to inherit the throne and everybody around you told you that and they treated you that way and you carried yourself that way he said that person will be a completely different person than who he is and it's the that aspect of sonship Now, brothers and sisters, I know not everybody in here has an issue with, or everybody has an issue with taming the tongue, but not as bad as Pastor Christian. I'll tell you right now, it may not be even the issue of the careless things that you blurt out. It may be an issue of what you don't say. Because you really don't believe that you are a son of God. You still see yourself as a slave. Rather than the Son. Because if you really believe that you got the Holy Spirit of God in you. And you believe that you are being transformed from glory to glory. You really believe that the anointing of God is in you. You know the word Christ simply means anointed one. And so my name Christian. Okay in one way it can be translated. Little anointed ones. Or somebody said anointlets, anointlings anointings. We're just little anointed ones. We're anointings. And we really believe that the anointing of God is in you the same way that it was upon Christ when he quoted Isaiah 61 and said this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. The things that you, the way you live, the things that you say, the things that you don't say, it will be affected. It will be changed. Okay. And so... This is just a very long introduction. (laughs) But this issue of sonship is something that our church is going to visit over and over again. Because I really believe it's going to have transforming power. It's going to have permanent transforming power. Amen? I've come a long way from my karate days. Believe me, I could tame the tongue a lot better than what I used to do back then. Amen? Amen? But I think there's still these underlying issues of 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 my identity as a son now, let me just tell you a brief background of my family okay um, My mom is a christian she is a pastor's kid my grandfather was a pastor and uh but she was a very bad pastor kid okay and so Around the time she married my dad, she thinks she wasn't even a Christian. And so she actually got like born again after she got married to my dad. My dad grew up despising the church because he saw so much corruption in the Korean church. And you know what? He's right on. He, he, he's not inaccurate to this. He saw some bad corruption. I told the story before, but during the uh, Korean War, there were a lot of orphans on the streets, right? And so my dad's father, my other grandfather, he would take in orphans off the street and he would try to care for them. right? And then there would be these churches in the neighborhood, these Presbyterian churches, and they would also take orphans off the street and care for them because there's so many. And what American churches would do, was they would send all this money, but then they realized there was so much corruption that it's not wise to send money. So my dad recalls a time where they used to send Levi's jeans for children. They would just send Levi's jeans. So he said what he would see is this Presbyterian church would dress up all the orphans in these Levi's jeans, line them up in a group picture, take the picture, and then they would collect all the jeans and then they would sell it at a market. And then, you know, he just suspected that they were keeping it for their own riches, their own profit. So yeah, this is the kind of stuff my dad saw growing up. So my dad does not like the church. He doesn't believe in the church. He thinks it's just filled with so much flesh, so much corruption, that there can't be God in this. (coughs) Well, uh, my parents uh, got married when I was six years old. We moved to the wonderful city of Philadelphia. And when I say we moved into the city, we moved into the city. We did not live in the suburbs. We were in the city. And it was a city... It was an area of the city which was uh, very poor. There was a lot of drugs and crack cocaine still at that time. Right? And so you have a lot of poor, a lot of uh, theft, robbery going on as well. And uh, I grew up in a mostly black neighborhood. And by the time that I was going to high school, uh, my parents got separated. And by the time I was in college, my parents got an official divorce. Because uh, my dad got remarried. Now, my dad, although he was there from the time I was born until 8th grade, he was actually physically in the house. He wasn't really there. Somebody know what I mean. He was there, but he wasn't really there. And, you know, I've learned to really honor my dad, and I, I, I'm going to do that. But... I also need to be truthful with, you know, how he behaved. He was there, but he wasn't there. And he used to, some certain times, he would drink a lot. He would come home late. He would come home 2, 3 in the morning almost every day. And so my dad and my mom, they would, my mom's a choleric, so she, you know, she, she doesn't take that. She doesn't take that. So she would speak out her mind, and they would fight a lot. There would be times where I wake up in the middle of the night, and my dad was, didn't get violent. But a couple of times he did, and they were very memorable. And whenever it came time for Christmas or my birthday, I get really excited because, uh, you know, most dads get get their sons a gift, right? Amen. Um. Somehow I knew that the gifts that I would get were from my mom or from my sister. And, I can't say he never got me gifts. He did get me gifts. And what I would do, I would learn to manipulate. I would nag him. And I would nag him and I would nag him. It was only when I got Nintendo. I was like, you know, I, whenever I want a new Nintendo game, I would nag him until he got it for me. But for most of my childhood, my dad was absent. He wasn't there. And uh the the thing is, I would go over my friends' houses and uh my Vietnamese friend dad who lived a couple of doors down, his dad wasn't any better. <laughs> so I was, Okay, I guess this is the way dads are. Until and then I went to my Italian friend, Anthony Garfano's household. And his dad was cracked out. His mom was drugged up. His older brother came down, was asking me for money because he wanted drugs. So I was like, okay, Italian families, they're not better either. So I guess just, just the way it is. And uh, I didn't have the best um, father figures to know that I had it bad. So I grew up just thinking this is just... Dealt, cars I was dealt with. And, uh, you know. And I just, uh, that's, anyway, that's my family background. Needless to say, um, you know, I, everyone jokes about Aaron and I getting kids, right? They're like, when are you going to have kids? You know, come on. You know, and when you get married, man, people bug you about this all the time. They, like, love to tell these jokes, you know. And, uh, you know, Aaron and I, we both are in mutual agreement that we're going to wait a little bit. And we'll say two years, and then other times it'll be two, three years. And then I find myself thinking, or or saying, you know, how about three, four, five years? And you know what, if I have to be honest, one of the reasons why I want to delay being a father, right, It's because I don't really know how to be a father. I say it right. I don't really know how to be a father because my father wasn't there. And even though today he's still physically alive and I saw him when I was in Philly. He's still not there. He tries his best but he doesn't really know what what it means to have a father. Because he also grew up uh, with a father that was fairly absent. Now, why am I telling you all this? I'm telling you this. To show you that I am not the most qualified person to teach on this message about who's your daddy. And whatever message comes out will be from the grace of God and from the word of God. Because the word of God has life. And so I didn't tell you that to disqualify myself from preaching this message. But to segue into how much I have been a recipient of this message. How needy I was for this message. And as I prepared and as I just kind of look back and recall my life, how God manifested the characteristics of a father in my life, throughout my life, and that how He is now calling me to be a father to the fatherless. And so, We're going to start with Psalm 103. Look at Psalm 103. Psalm 103 verse 13. We're going to look at six characteristics of the Father. Number one, Psalm 103, 13. The Word of God says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Number one is, the Father shows compassion. Amen? Amen? The Father shows compassion. Um, we all need compassion, amen. Especially when you're when you're very young. Uh, you, it's very fragile time, and if you do not get that love and compassion when you're when you're a child, uh, in order to kind of survive. Your heart does certain things, and um, and so one person that through whom God really showed me the compassion of a father, right, uh, is through my mentor, Brother Michael. I'm telling you, man, I have not seen compassion <laughs> like I see when I see Brother Michael. Every time I see him, he always comes up, and he just opens up his wide uh, arms wide, and he says, Come here, brother. Come here. And he gives me this big bear hug. And um, when Pastor Sam was here, maybe some of y'all know what I'm talking about. How Sam used to do the same thing. He used to just give people big bear hugs. Yeah, you know? And some sisters, they'll make them uncomfortable, especially Korean Americans. People are like, hey, why are, are you hugging me like this? you right but eventually they actually like it
1: right.
0: and uh when i was in college i was a very tough kid by the time i got to college i was a very tough kid okay my sister will know one time i got into a fight with my sister in the east village on the on 9th street and we we're just kind of arguing i don't remember what we we're arguing about but i had my wife beater on right my um what well, yeah, y'all know what a wife beater is, right? It's like an um, A shirt, whatever, athletic shirt. You know, and I, I was working out back then, so, you know, I was, was kind of jacked and, and, uh, <laughs> I don't know what we were fighting about, but, uh, but, uh, I had this, like, tough mentality, like, just, I'm a tough guy thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because not many people have shown me compassion. I didn't know how to really show compassion to others, right? So we were fighting and all of a sudden I just started kicking this random bike that was chained up to the telephone pole or whatever. I just started kicking, and I was like, you know, Nuna, why are you being this way? And she's like, why stop kicking that bike? <laughs> and all of a sudden, this guy behind me goes, stop kicking that bike! <laughs> and I was like, shut up, man, we we do it. And then the guy's like, that's my bike! <laughs> and I, I was like, I don't care! Get her. <laughs> and I remember going home and thinking, that was pretty messed up. That was his bike! <laughs> wrong with me and uh, another time when I was a freshman at NYU I went to uh, uh, this NYU Stern business school party and uh, when we got there were all the freshmen were thinking you know how are we gonna get drinks you know I wonder if they're gonna serve alcohol to us without without ID And the moment we step into the club, right, this upperclassman says, hey, come on in, y'all. Come with me, I'm gonna give you bracelets, right? I'm gonna give you bracelets. And he comes in the back and gives us all these fluorescent bracelets, and then that tells you that you're 21. So, all these freshmen, they got drunk, and, and, uh, I didn't, you know, I wasn't a big drinker, so I, I was fairly sober. And, uh, I remember all these, like, female friends of mine, I was really worried about them because around the first week of partying, I noticed that all the upperclassmen would try to take home the girls, and they would, when they're drunk, they would just say, "Hey, come on, come on, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you somewhere else, right? Come on, just come with me." And they, these girls would follow them. And I was, that's not happening to my friends. So I started carrying all these like friends of mine out, and one of them was a brother, and this brother, he was a Christian, he was supposedly like this like spoken Christian, and here he is, drunk, piss drunk, you know, and I'm carrying him out. That homeboy throws up all over my shoes. So I take him to the bathroom and I'm like helping him throw up. I'm like, can you walk, man? I, can, I gotta get the other girls, man. Can, can you walk? And then, oh, I can't walk. Help him pray for me, man. Oh, <laughs> <coughs> oh
1: man. Ew.
0: Anyway, I, I, I take him and I, I walk him out the club. And the moment I step out of the club, they they shut the door on me. And there's two big bouncers and say, no re-entry. So I'm, I go up to the bouncer. I'm like, excuse me, sir. Uh, there's a couple of friends of mine in there, and they're very vulnerable because they're really drunk. And I just want to carry them out. That's all. I, 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 I ain't looking for no trouble. I just, I just, and he's like, no re entry. I'm like, all right, all right, okay. But he is pretty big, you know? And, uh, you know, once again, I had a wife beater underneath my uh, button down shirt. And whenever I have that thing on, it just makes me feel like Superman. Like, you know, it's, just, it's like tight and like so I'm like stepping back I'm like unbutting my shirt I'm just like alright alright cool alright okay okay alright and then one of my other friends my Taiwanese friend Helen she was all drunk and she's like what's the problem why won't you let my friend in oh actually she kind of reminds me of Mina now I think about it she's like "Ah, ah, why won't you let my friend in why won't you let my friend in and she like touches the bouncer's arm or something and the bouncer grabs her arm like this it's like get out of here little girl like that right? And the moment he did that, my instinct just kicked in. Tough guy, right? I'm like, you get your hands off! And I just kind of, I didn't finish my sentence, because he knocked me in my chin! And he had like a ring on or something. And so I got knocked out. Except I didn't fall down to the ground. I'm tough guy, right? I was actually like this, but I got knocked out, and I kind of woke up, and there's like the blood squirting out of my chin. And I'm thinking like... That's not the bad part, okay. This is the bad part. I get up and I start wiping down my chin. I'm like, is it okay? Can, I, can I go fight him? Okay. I wipe off my face. I take off my button down. Got my, you know, my Superman attire. <laughs> and I went up to him and I said, let's do it. Come on. Let's fight. Let's fight. Come on out of here. And then the bouncer was so upset. He was like, come on. I'll take him. And these other bouncers start holding him back. And I'm like, come on sucker. Come on. Right. Cause now I, I knew I couldn't fight. I knew I couldn't beat him in a fight, but I was a wrestler. Okay, so I just wanted to like break his arm <laughs> and crack my voice. <laughs> no, so you know I knew I could do some damage if I just got in on him, right? Do the grappling thing. You know, this is when people didn't know about you know missed martial arts. You know, so the guy did probably it, it wouldn't have seen anything coming. I just wanted to fight him. And then they took the bouncer inside, by God's grace. And then my friends were like, oh, "Christian, let's just go home." your chin's bleeding (laughs) everybody's got it in the cab come on let's just go and so I went home (laughs) and I'm at home and I'm thinking what is wrong with me I just got knocked out my chin is bleeding my chin it took like a month for it to recover right it was like you know when you can if you ever want to knock somebody out you knock them in the chin like if you know boxing you just knock them in the chin and, and I got knocked out. And I, when I came to, I want to fight the guy. What's wrong with me? Right? I mean, I was on the other side of compassion. I, I was just... I don't know what I was doing. And then, my sophomore year in college, came Brother Michael. Of course, I, you know, I was still the same tough guy. But Brother Michael would just say, I hey, brother. Come here, let me just give you let me just give you a big
1: hug. Oh hallelujah. Yeah,
0: you, know, you know what the Lord is you know what the Lord is saying over you?
1: He just loves you so much.
0: I know, I know, and but he mentored me for a good two years, and during this time, every time I saw him, he would just show me compassion. And he would just love me. And any time I I even messed up and I would confess my failures, he would still just embrace me. He would not be like, okay, you need to be careful. Don't ever do that again. It would just be like, did you confess? Yeah? Come here, give me a big hug. (laughs) Come on, I sinned. You know, I messed up. Come on, Brother Michael. Come on, give me a hug. He just showed me so much compassion. And uh I can definitely say that around the time I graduated from college, the whole tough guy thing—it it was like getting shattered off my life. Now there's there were still like, like hauntings that came back, <laughs> but for the most part, I wanted to choose compassion. This like t- thing, the survival tactic that I used on the streets, all this fighting and violence—I realized, man, I, I actually didn't want that. I a compassion. I noticed that people can get respect through compassion. And what Brother Michael did for me was he showed me compassion of the Father. Because the word of God says the Father, as a father shows compassion to his children, the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Okay. Number two, look at Proverbs three twelve. Proverbs 3.12 Proverbs 3.12 says, For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. In the NIV, it says, Because the Lord disciplines those he loves, as a father the son he delights in. Number two characteristic. Of God the Father. It's the Father disciplines. The Father disciplines. Okay. Uh, if you look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. It says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved when by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Discipline. Now, some of you in here, you have experienced this aspect of God the Father. Amen? There's other in here, others in here, you really didn't. You didn't get that. So you went out and you did your stuff, and then you learned the hard way. I'll tell you something right now. I did not rebel all my life. My my like, my like rebellion lasted maybe like six weeks, right, Nuna? Nuna? How long was it? About six weeks in my freshman year at NYU. I I never had a prolonged period of rebellion in my life. I'll tell you why. Because of my mama. (laughs) I know my mama is a female. She's not my father. But she manifested this characteristic of the father in my life. And I'm so thankful that she did. Because she beat foolishness out of me and I'm telling you right now okay when a little baby does something wrong you can't reason with that baby you, you know you can you can just kind of reinforce and say things that you, you want to say but you can't like sit there and try to persuade the baby not to do that again when a baby's a baby you got to you got to a little pow-pow right you got to discipline your baby. Same way, as we walk our Christian life, especially in the stages of immaturity that we have to get through. All of us have to get through in different aspects and areas of our Christian walk. We still have immaturity. Sometimes it requires discipline to change and to grow, right? And so you have these... uh, small group leaders. People, if you haven't signed for a small group, I would really highly recommend that you do. You have these small group leaders, right? And these small group leaders are here to manifest the heart of the Father in discipline. Okay? Now, you should always perceive that with compassion. You should, you know, compassion should be more often than the discipline. But look, the discipline's got to come here and there. Especially when you start acting foolish, that discipline, that hammer has got to drop or else you will not learn any other way. And if you do not get disciplined, that means your small group leader doesn't really love you. But i tell you, my mama, she disciplined me. And she would always say something as she was beating me and telling me to pull down my pants. Because She'll beat me up right here, right? she always say, 엄마, 너 사랑해. 사랑하는 줄 알지? You know that I love you, and I, I'm like, no, I, I don't know. <laughs> she'd be like, how many, how many, how many memes should you get? I hated that question. <laughs> if your answer too low, she double that job. <laughs> and and I, I will get, I will get my little whipping. And whatever I did, I will never do it again. Now, some, some people, you know, in America, you know, they they want to call the police, you know, if the, if the kids getting beat. But look, check this out, man. I am a I am a firm believer right, in a good good little you know you got you got to you got to whip your kids. But as your pastor, let me just give you some. Godly counsel, you gotta whip your kids. And I am the fruit. I am good fruit, the fruit of righteousness. <laughs> now, if the, if the kid is a little bit sensitive, you gotta, you gotta take that into account. Okay? Because my, my sister was a lot more sensitive. Whenever my mom would just try to dish out the same amount of punishment on her as she, she would do on me, my, my sister couldn't take it. So, so sometimes her memes would get transferred to me. She'd be like, Since your sister can't take it, you take the remaining. And you know I love you. <coughs> but you, know, you gotta adjust if, if your kid is sensitive. You know, you know you you, you wanna you make sure that you you know show them enough love. But uh, you know God He disciplines us, and you know sometimes He He brings us through t- times that are tough, or He allows things to happen in our lives that He could have easily prevented. And you, and, and the first thing we, we do, especially even when my mama used to beat me, I always used to despise her. And I had a, out of potty mouth, I would go upstairs and I would curse her out. I would go upstairs, I'd be cursing her out. I'd make sure she didn't hear it. But I would, I would curse her out. And God would always convict me. You honor you honor your mother and father. And I would always pray a prayer of confession. I knew what I was doing wasn't right. And the first instinctual response is always we despise the discipline. But look, if we would only just trust the heart of the Father, that He is a Father who just naturally disciplines us for our own good, how much more would this discipline bring fruit in our lives? If you read Hebrews 12, it says in verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness." For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And I don't think we will really appreciate this word until we have children ourselves. Because look, you're not just going to have little angels. Okay? I mean, you will see sinful nature. You will believe in original sin when you see your little children. And nobody taught them this and they're just doing all kinds of evil things. And you will realize, man, if I really love my children, I got to discipline them. That's what a good father does. And for me, my earthly father never disciplined me. He never disciplined me. But my heavenly father, he did And and when I was a child, it was mostly through my mama, and I'm so thankful that God He disciplined me and He showed me that love. Uh, Third, I'm going to have to just close with this today because we don't have enough (laughs) time. Turn to John sixteen twenty-three. John sixteen twenty-three. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. This is Jesus talking. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give it to you. Who is He talking about here? It's the Father will give it to you. If you ask of the Father in Jesus' name, the Father will give it to you. Third characteristic of the Father is the Father... He listens. The father takes time to listen to your prayers. He listens. You know, growing up, I can't ever I can't ever recall a time when my dad just came up to me and said, How was your day, son? You now, some of you have, some of you were blessed because you got that all the time that it annoyed you. Now, I can't recall a single time my dad asked me, how was your day, son? How was your day? Well, when it comes down to it, my dad never took the time to listen. He never took the time to listen. I'm sorry. He didn't. And I didn't think any, there was anything wrong with that. I just, I just, once again, I, I didn't have anything to compare it to. I asked all my friends, Hey, does your father ask you ever about your day? And they were like, No. That's why we got friends. That's why we got to be buddy-buddy. We got to be friends. We got to stick together. Just a bunch of fatherless kids on the streets. <laughs> And I'm, I'm telling you, man. Anyway, anyway. And um, when Brother Michael was here in in May, and uh, we were hosting him, uh, Brother Michael, he's our men- he's my mentor, and he came at, as a guest speaker for our retreat in the spring. And when he came, uh, we put him up at a hotel so he can be comfortable. <coughs> uh, one time after a very long day, he just said. Christian, why 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 you come back to my hotel want to I j I I wanna I wanna tell you something. So I was like, alright, some fresh prophecy, you know, I got my audio recorder ready. You know, he's giving me all this wonderful prophecy during that during that weekend, so I was excited for more. And we went back to his hotel room. And he sat me down, and I'm just like like in you know, servant mode, like just trying to do things, like Martha mode, you know? And he just sits me down and he's just like so what did you think about the retreat? And I said, oh, it was a blessing. A lot of people say it was a blessing. It was good. And he's just waiting. It was good. We're really glad you came. But Michael's like, that's wonderful. So how have you been? He's asking. I'm like, I, I, I be, I've been doing good. <laughs> it's so, it was so weird. I I could do that with a friend. I could do that with a co-worker. I could, but here is my mentor who I really look up to. And uh, I didn't really know how to I didn't really know how to talk to him. But here he was. He was just sitting there in his hotel room. And he just wanted to listen. He wanted to, he wanted to hear what I had to say. And it was so weird. You know, on Friday Fire, this past Friday, <coughs> our sister Diane, she led this uh, wonderful time of uh, exploring the Father's heart. And she um, shared her testimony. Man, she has one crazy testimony. Can I tell you, if you have not heard a testimony, you need to hear it. Then you should like write a book. That is like... They should make a movie. Yo, yo, so you should make a movie about her life. <laughs> one crazy testimony. I didn't know this little girl from Texas. I didn't know. She has this crazy testimony. Anyway, that's not what I want to talk about. She led a time of prayer... And in this time of prayer, she told us to use our imagination. Now, some of you might be like, well, that's, you know, stop tripping, you know, imagination. That's just our imagination. But look, check this out. God can show up in your imagination, amen? Like sometimes you just start imagining, it's just your imagination, and then God's like, hello! And you're like, whoa, hey, what are you doing, God? This is my imagination! And God shows up in your imagination, for, for real, for real. He's the Lord of all. And so we're using our imagination to go to the park. And guess who we're waiting for? She said to imagine our fathers showing up to the park. You're meeting your father at the park. And she wanted us just to describe how we felt, our body posture, where we plan to sit, what do we see when he's coming down the road now. Are you excited? Are you walking toward him? Are you nervous? Are you scared? And she just like... She's just leading us through this exercise. And... It's really weird. Because everybody shared their experiences with their fathers. During that exercise. I shared mine. There's one word that can sum up... My experience of being at the park. Which I never... I never went to the park with my dad, so... I had to really use my imagination, but it was easy, actually, what took place. There's one word that summed it up. I just felt numb. It's weird. I just felt numb. Man, it's not like I don't, I don't hate him, you know. I just felt numb the whole time. Just numb, and then he felt numb. I'm looking at him in my imagination, and he's numb, and I'm numb. And then we sit down on the bench, and nobody's talking. And I say, nice shoes. And he's just silent. He's just numb. And then, after this, she asked us to imagine meeting God the Father at the park. That's just, experience. just kind of describe it. And for some people, their experience of God the Father is very similar to their natural father. That's when you realize you need a lot of um, healing. Because your natural father has dominated your view of God the Father. In that aspect, you got to, you need a lot of healing. But for me, you know, I feel like I've kind of come through a lot of the healing process already. So when I imagine God the Father, it was God the Father, you know. And when He starts coming down the road, guess what I do? I'm running at Him, big old bear hug. And then we sit down on the bench, and then I'm doing most of the talking. I'm just talk, talk, talk. And as I'm imagining him at this park with God the Father, this strange, strange thing, because my, my wife Erin was saying that <clears throat> it was like Muppet Babies for her. She could only see the feet and torso of the Father, but she couldn't look up to the face. Like, she couldn't, you know? Because, you know, you can you imagine Jesus' face, but, you know, you've never really seen the Father. So, you know, you, you know he's, he, he doesn't have a face so she couldn't look up and then I think Jew was also sharing that she couldn't really look up and see his face but look in my my experience I looked up I saw his face and I looked up and it was the face of brother Michael it was brother Michael he was sitting next to me and my experience there on the bench reminded me of that experience in this hotel room recently. And then the way he hugged me at the park, God the father hugged me at the park, it was exactly the way Brother Michael hugged me. I said Brother Michael. <laughs> and God said, No,
1: it's me. this day
0: this whole time you thought it was brother Michael it was
1: me I love to listen to
0: when you take care of these things.
1: I like you. I love you.
0: And all my life, I, I, I'm trying to imagine, because I grew up with my father being absent, I try to imagine God Kind of just spiritually as a father. And here on Friday Fire, God's telling me, look, that's not the only way I manifest my heart. I've surrounded you with fathers all your life. You just didn't recognize it as me. When your mama was telling you to lower your pants, that wasn't just your mama. That was me. I realized, wow. Well, <clears throat> sometimes I'm tempted to feel sorry for myself. That I didn't have an appropriate earthly father. And here God is just saying... Look, whether you have one, or whether you have a good one, or you have a bad one, I am your father. And where earthly, earthly fathers fail, you gotta look to me. for many of us I want to encourage you go back through memory lane go back through your past and don't just look for male faces if you look in your life I believe that you will find that God the Father was there for you and he was he was there even at times when you didn't recognise him, when you thought it was just some stranger, when you thought it was your uncle, when you thought it was just your small meter. But God's saying, No, that was me. That's me. And for those who do not know God as Father, Jesus says something very interesting. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you don't know Jesus, you will never know the Father. He's the only way. In fact, sometimes we have a very easy time imagining God the Son. Like imagine if that activity was go meet God the Son. Go meet Jesus at the park. How much okay, well so easy now. You know you could just imagine Jesus because you know Jesus is just, he was visible. He was actually here, physically manifested on the earth. He's so much easier to imagine. And we think, well, the Father is just like, He seems like He's just upstairs somewhere and He's, he's like a lot further. But yeah, it's a very interesting thing Jesus said. He said, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And He said one time, He said to Philip, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know, Philip? Whoever has seen me seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father?
1: If you look at
0: Jesus, you experience Jesus, you are experiencing the Father. Because Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Jesus. You want to know the Father? Just look at Jesus. And this might might trip you up because some people are just like, well, you know, this is a trinity and there's clear separation as well and and I'm not denying that I'm telling you if you want to really experience the father just look at Jesus look at what he did in the gospels look how he shows up to you in your dreams and your visions and and your prayer closet when you just meet quiet time with the Lord how does Jesus show up that's the heart of father that's the father in fact Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says for unto us a child is born To us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Look, It's okay. Maybe some of you when you did that activity on Friday fire. Jesus showed up you're like, Jesus, get out of here. I'm looking for the Father. (laughs) No, it's okay. You see Jesus, it's like seeing the Father. In fact, he will be called Everlasting Father. Look, I'm lost in this sermon because... I'm learning it myself still. Can I just say that? And I'm approaching ministry in a brand new way in this season. Ever since Prophet Del came by. And he said, don't look at your disciples as just missions projects. I'm like, what's wrong with that? You got to invest into them. You got to minister to them. Like a father. That's what we need. We, need we, we have enough people that are just doing things and serving and getting things done. We need more fathers. That's when true revival will spread and be sustained. So, I just want to close with this point. Not only does God want us to experience Him as father, he wants us to be a father to others. Guess what? Jesus said, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. You see me, you see the Father. You see the things that I do, this is what the Father would do if he was here. So check it out. Whatever I'm doing, it's the Father's will. I don't just do things on my own accord. I'm doing what the Father wants me to do. Guess what? Other people... be able to see the Father when they meet us. Because I don't think Jesus' purpose was just to stop with him saying, I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. Jesus went further and said, he was praying, Lord, may they be in me as I am in you. You see, Jesus left the earth. He was one physical person on the earth. He's not here anymore. But the thing is, Jesus is still on earth. Amen? The Father is still manifesting His heart on the earth, except it's just not through physical Jesus. It's through you and me and you and you and you and you and you. It's through Brother Michaels And my mama. And the Apostle Paul, he got it. He said, First Corinthians 4.15. He said, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ through the gospel. Now he had it right. He knew how to do ministry. He identified himself as a spiritual father. Because he got it. He got the gospel. First Thessalonians. This time he's with a group of people. He says, You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Brothers and sisters, may this be New Philadelphia Church where we write to churches in other nations, churches in other cities, and we write them. And we say, like a father to his children, we were to you. That's, that's the way you got to do ministry, brothers and sisters. Because this was the, the, the purpose of God. This is the purpose of God when he saves us. It's not for us just to follow Christ. Not to just to become like Christ. But to also become like the Father, and to manifest the Father to the fatherless. So who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Brothers, and sisters, maybe you might be sitting there and thinking, "Well, Christian, you're lucky. You have brother Michael. I don't have nobody like that. I don't even have a natural father." And I can't recall anyone in my history that was like God the Father to me. Didn't show me no compassion. Didn't discipline me when I was going rebellious. Didn't listen. I can't think of nobody like that in my life. You're lucky. You're blessed. Blessed Christian. Look, what am I supposed to do? I'll tell you what you're supposed to do. If you don't have fathers in your life. You never had fathers in your life. Well, be a father. Be a father. Learn and start today. Be a father to others. And as you are a father to others, you will understand more of the heart of the father. Amen? Then you will be careful with what you got to say. I'll tell you right now, when I have children, I'm going to be careful what I say in front of them. I'm, never, I'm not going to drop a curse word in front of them. I'm not going to, like, lose it in front of them and do what I did at my karate school. I'm not going to do that for my children. Why? Because for me, then it'll be so clear that I'm a father to them. But what? God is going to have me learn when I have natural children. He wants me to learn right now as I'm pastoring this church and he wants you to learn as you're leading your small group. And even if you're not a leader, he wants you to learn as you reach out to your coworkers. Do it with the heart of a father. Amen. All right, so that's good. It's good. Let's pray. Lord Father we just thank you so much that God you have given us the spirit of sonship the spirit of adoption as sons and because we are sons we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ and there's incredible things to inherit but God before we unpack all of that or maybe always come back just our identity as sons. For those who are led by the Spirit of God will be called sons of God. Lord, may we be called sons of God because we are filled and led by your Holy Spirit. We thank you that without the Holy Spirit we will never really know what it means to be a son. Neither will we know how to really act and live and to do your will as a son. But we thank you for your Spirit. For your Spirit is in us. Your Spirit is When we call out to him, he fills us, he empowers us, he leads us. Thank you for your spirit. And we thank you, Jesus, for coming to this earth and showing us what the Father is all about. That he's not just some distant figure in the sky. But that everything that you did while you were here on this public ministry, you did to manifest the Father's heart. And we just thank you that you're continuing to manifest that heart today. And, oh, God, I just pray for the people in this room right now, Lord. Oh, God, how can we do the will of the Father when we don't understand the heart of the Father? Lord, I pray that you will bring New Philadelphia Church through a season where you turn the hearts of sons to their fathers. And then you teach us how to be a father to our sons. And I pray that the momentum that's created from this season will break out with unstoppable kingdom work that will not be sustained by goals and agendas and objectives, but will be sustained through relationships. Relationship with you and the beautiful father-son relationships with each other. And God, before I close, I just want to pray uh, for those who have not really had a father figure in their lives. I pray you send them one. Or I pray you open up their eyes to see one that's already there in their life. And bring healing there, Lord. Where there is numbness, open up with compassion. And I just pray for those who have received so much of your love. I ask that God, you will send them sons, people that they can care for and be a father to. Whether they are a formal leader or not, I pray you send such people into their lives so that they can really manifest the father's heart. To those around them. And then in turn. They would also experience a deeper level. Of the father's heart. In their own hearts. God we just thank you Lord. We just
1: praise you God. That's in Jesus name we pray. Amen.